0: Kunja Bihari, Jaya Radha Madhava, Kunja Bihari. jayom Om Vishnupad, Paramahamsa,
1: Parivaraja Kacharja, Asho Sata, Sri Srimad, AC, Bhaktivaranta, Swami, Srila Prabhupad, Ki jay Ananta, Kota, Varsana, Vrinda, Ki Jai. All glories to the assembled devotees, Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees, Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees, Hare Krishna. All glories, all glories to Shishi Guru and Golanga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Om Namo Bhagavateva
0: Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavateva Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Ajyana Timarandasya Janajana Shalakaya
1: Chakshulamicham Jenata Shri Guru Venamaham I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Sri Chaitanya Mano Vistam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupakada Mayam Tadatit Svapadantikam When will Srila Rupagaswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha Kalpa Tarubhyascha Patita Sanubhyayavaccha Patitanam Pavanaybhyo Namona Maham. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. J Shri Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nityananda, Sri Advaita Gadadhar, Shivasari Vasari, Gaurabhaktivrinda. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Sri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Sri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama, Hare Hare. So today is Wednesday, June 3rd, 2020, and we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 6, Conversation Between Narada and Vyasadeva, Text 25. ETAVAD uktva. Para
0: Ramatan Mahad, Bhutam Nabolingam, Alingam Ishvaram, Aham Chatasmai Mahatam
1: Mahiyashe, Shish Navanam Mamvidade Word for word translation. Etavat, thus, Uktpa spoken. Upararama, stopped. Tat, that. Mahat, great. Bhutam, wonderful. Nabhai-lingam, personified by sound. Alingam, unseen by the eyes. Ishvaram, the supreme authority. Aham, I. Cha, also. Dasmai, unto him mahatam the great mahiyashe unto the glorified srushna by the head avanam avanamam Obeisances vidade executed anukampita being favored by him translation and purport by his divine grace ac buktivrata swami shrila Prabhupada. Then that supreme authority, personified by sound and unseen by eyes, but most wonderful, stopped speaking. Feeling a sense of gratitude, I offered my obeisances unto him, bowing my head. PURPORT That the personality of Godhead was not seen but only heard does not make any difference. The personality of Godhead produced the four Vedas by his breathing, and he is seen and realized through the transcendental sound of the Vedas. Similarly, the Bhagavad Gita is the sound representation of the Lord, and there's no difference in identity. The conclusion is that the Lord can be seen and heard by persistent chanting of the transcendental sound. So, um, we're continuing... um, hearing about Narada's, Narada Muni's story of um, seeing God, of seeing Lord Vishnu. And if we remember, he saw him for a second, he felt overwhelmed with joy, and then um, Krishna was gone, the Lord was gone. And he gave him some instructions, which we've been discussing. So today we will discuss um, God personified by sound, being unseen and so wonderful, and the concept of gratitude in our service. So we'll start with um, that God was unseen. It says here, unseen by eyes, but most wonderful. And Narthamuni notes that even without seeing God and just hearing him, he felt that power was was. Um, pervading the entire space. It was very powerful. And he still felt connected, even though he didn't see him, um, but just heard him. And we can experience that, especially nowadays, right, with um, being in <clears throat> um, physical distancing, being in quarantine. We tend to not see um, our friends and uh, colleagues, but we do hear them, you know, through phone call. And technology, like phone calls, um, you know, especially if it's just audio, especially it's just the the voice that's coming through. We don't even get to see the person. But that phone call um, itself can be powerful. I mean, I can, in a matter of an instant, I can talk to my mother in India who's all the way across the world, and we can have a conversation through the power of technology of phone. And... I was, um, reading somewhere that said, love transmits independent of space. And we can feel that in something like a phone call. Even if, um, I just think about my mother, I can feel love even though she's all the way across the world. So, love has no limitations. It doesn't, it's not constricted by just being in front of somebody or being able to see them with our eyes. Hearing is so much, is so powerful that we can feel that love. There's a study that was done, let me see if I can find, that said, um, if we, if a person has six or more, um, contacts with people, and this can be in person, it can be audio chats, video chats, text chats, there are four, times less likely to get sick to develop colds than those who have had two or less contacts Um, even if both groups of people have been exposed or infected um, by some virus so we can see that power of just hearing somebody just connecting with someone can have such a profound effect on our lives Um, we've also shown, that study also showed that it had other effects too by six more contacts a week. Um, <clears throat> a person can, uh, avoid feeling depressed, anxious, things like that. We also, um, this idea of hearing and not necessarily seeing or being in the presence of somebody is a very integral part of our philosophy as, um, Krishna conscious devotees, as devotees of Prabhupada, because we have this concept called Vani and Vapu. And Vapu means being in the physical presence of your spiritual master, your um instructing guide, being in, your, in the physical presence of them. And Vani means uh, listening to the instructions or the words or, you know, um, a tape, a lecture that they've recorded, um, along those lines. So they're not physically present, but you still have that interaction with them. And this is very powerful. I know for me personally that when I am <clears throat> consistently listening to um, lectures given by my guru, Tamal Krishna Goswami, um, if I listen like every single day, I, f- I feel very connected to him and it-, it feels as if he's very much present. And in some ways feels more so than when he was actually here because when he was here he was always so busy and you know you would get short amounts of time with him and you know in his physical presence and it was the same thing with Prabhupada and, and his disciples and I'm sure a lot of um, people have that same experience with their guru that they don't get a lot of time and physical um, association with their spiritual master but because of the sound vibration, like lectures or even audio, videotapes or video recordings, they're no longer tapes, I guess, I'm kind of showing my age, um, <clears throat> video recordings, audio recordings, we can still hear and receive that message. And it feels like you're just right there in in the, the presence of them. And like I said, I feel like it's a lot more potent now because that Presence can be brought to my house at any moment. I just have to hit play on, you know, whatever device I'm listening on, um, my phone usually. So, um, sound is very powerful. In Bhagavad Gita, chapter 7, text 8, Krishna says, I am the sound in ether. So sound is actually Krishna. He's, that's one of his potencies. That's, that's how he represents himself, right? That when we hear sounds, we can think of Krishna. There is all sorts of different sounds. There's music, right? Just instrumental sounds. There's uh, been numerous studies. I, I was reading that there's a review of 400 published scientific articles on music. And they found strong evidence that music has mental and physical health benefits in improving mood and reducing stress. A particular, um, rhythm, especially, can provide physical pain relief. And I was reading, um, or I was listening to a doctor talk about ways that we can, uh, deal with, um, pain, and they did this study on, Surgical patients, and if they played during the surgery, if they played songs that were appealing to the person undergoing surgery, um, they tend to have less pain during recovery than if you know there was no songs played, or if they found they played songs being that were irritated. They even found the same type of connection with um, people with. Alzheimer's or some type of dementia, that if you they played music that the person that had this condition found appealing, and it doesn't matter if we don't find it appealing. Like if it's like, you know, one of the uh, types of music that's really hard for me to listen to is like really hard, heavy metal rock, right? It kind of is really um, loud, and it can, you know, kind of grate on my eardrums and my head. But if somebody really likes that kind of music and they play that for this person and uh, they have dementia, they found that it tends to keep them calm, um, helps them to stay oriented to where they are. Um, They found playing music that's pleasing to um, also help reduce pain for chronic pain patients. Uh, There's a study that was done that showed hour-long sound meditation helped reduce tension, anger, fatigue, anxiety, and depression, and increased a sense of spiritual well-being. So sound-based vibration has been shown to help people from pain, um, of all types, types of pain. So we can see that the Sound is very powerful. And, of course, we understand that because Krishna says he is sound. He is sound in ether. If we think about, you know, if we hear a particular song, um, and that song was uh, playing during a pivotal moment or a memorable moment in our lives, when we hear that song, we automatically get transported back to that um, time and place, even if we're just where we're at. So again, we can hear, we can see that power of sound of what it can do. It can bring back so many memories. It can, um, bring so many emotions in us. Um, you play a certain song and you feel excited that you play a different song and you feel a lot more melancholy or even sad. Um, another one song can bring you joy. So there's, Um, emotions that we associate with songs and music. And then, as powerful as sound is, words are even more powerful. Um, There's a famous, uh, I guess, um, quote from the Bible that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know that also is confirmed... um, in Bhagavad Gita, when Krishna says, "I am," uh, let me see, of all the transcendental vibrations, I am, this, I am Om, the sound Om, and we know that um, Om is the original sound; it was the first sound. So, again, Krishna is not just the first sound, but he's also the first word. So words are very powerful. Um, They're almost the most powerful force we have available to us. And we can use this force constructively to help build people up with words of encouragement. Or we can use it destructively um, to cut people down and using words of despair. And we do that to ourselves as well. You know, sometimes the way we talk to ourselves or we think um, can be very negative, um, critical, or it can be very positive and joyful, right? Um, you know, are you looking in the mirror and saying, "Man, I'm I'm fat and I'm unhealthy and I'm you know I'm lazy," or a different way to say that is, "I am." exercising to get fit and be healthy. And, you know, so we can change the words around to be more positive. You know, I've heard it said, instead of saying, I want to be, um, debt-free because the word that you focus on is debt, it's better to say, I want to be financially free or financially solvent, you know? So there's other words that can be used that, may convey the same message, but they they do it in a more positive light. In Bhagavad Gita, 1715, Krishna says, Austerity of speech consists in speaking truthfully and beneficially and avoiding speech that offends. One should also recite the Vedas regularly. One of my... um, Go-to personal development um, books is the Four Agreements, and the first agreement of the Four Agreements is be impeccable with your word, and this means—I <laughs> don't know if you can hear that in the recording—but somebody in the back is yelling, "Oh, that's a great book!" Um, so that means to speak with integrity, and that coincides with um, in Bhagavad Gita 17:15, where it says. Speaking truthfully, you know, when we speak with integrity, we're speaking with truth, with, um, you know, it's, it's something that we can stand behind, that it's not false, it's not uh, made up, it's, you know, we're speaking with integrity. Say only what you mean. Again, that's also speaking uh, truthfully. Avoid using the word to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. And in 1715, that's uh, avoiding speech that offends. And so it's easy enough to see, okay, gossiping about others. But sometimes we get caught in that trap of speaking ill about our own selves. And we have to realize that as devotees of Krishna, that we also have to make sure that we're not offending our own self, right? Speaking ill of ourselves. Use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. And we've been discussing that um, truth is, the absolute truth is Krishna, and he's also love, right? He's love personified. So when we recite the Vedas regularly, we are using our power of word um, for truth and love. There's so many different ways to have more positive um, words that we can, right? So sometimes when, um, som- when you're looking at trying to do a project or do some big accomplishment, let's say, you know, get up in the morning to chant, and my first reaction is, oh my God, I can't. But instead of I can't, it's better to think, how can I? It's a different, it's a slight change. It's not like I can't is closed, that's it. There's no going forward from there, I can't do it. But if you start thinking, how can I do it? then your mind starts to think of like all the different ways you can start rearranging things so that you can get up in the morning and chant. As um, Krishna conscious devotees that are possibly you know studying the Srimad Bhagavatam, there's so many stories of brahmanas cursing people, right? Like the whole Srimad Bhagavatam itself is based on um, Maharaj Pariksha getting cursed by a brahmana. So again, we can see the power of words, you know, when they're cursing them, they're not doing some, you know, major like sacrifice. They're not using some crystals or a magic wand or something. They're just saying, I curse you to have this effect. And as a brahmana, it comes true. I've noticed that too, that sometimes when I say something it comes true. And so as a result, I've been very particular, like sometimes it's not that I lie. It's just, sometimes I just kind of like, um, answer something without thinking in the moment of what I'm saying. And then later on I realize, wait, that wasn't actually accurate, or maybe it wasn't absolutely true at all. Um, or maybe it's, you know, something that I just, at that moment, I thought maybe, but then it, it didn't pan out. So I've learned to be a little bit more cautious because sometimes if I say something that's not true, it can come true because as a Brahmin, our words are very powerful. So we have to be very particular about our words. You know, Prabhupada um, advises that are to use our words only in praising and service of Krishna. And you go back to using words to uplift rather than knock down, right? Instead of complaining, which sometimes, you know, we fall into that trap of complaining about, oh, my God, this is happening and that's happening. And that's fine. Maybe for a few moments you need to get some of that out, but then start thinking of solutions. Think of what's good, right? So in this time of lockdown, it's really hard because it's hard to not socialize and not get into your swing of things and be stuck at home all day. But then we can also focus on what's good about it, it's what's more positive, what's um, uplifting in that. You know, we get time to slow down. We get to really consider what's important, um, spend more time, actually. I mean, I know they call it social distancing, but I really resonate with calling it physical distancing because I feel like in some ways I've gotten a lot closer in so with my social contacts than I have previously. And then one of my biggest uh, words that I try to eliminate from my vocabulary is should. You know, we can end up shoulding all over ourselves. Oh, I should get up in the morning to chant. Oh, I should read um, Prabhupada's books every day. Oh, I should right? It's like all these should, and should is a very loaded word. It has like this, it's almost entangled with guilt and shame and judgment um, with that word. So I tried to use other words instead, like I want to get up in the morning. I'm inspired to get up in the morning and chant. It sounds much more uplifting. It actually fe- feels like something I want to do. You know, sometimes we say, oh, I have to chant my rounds still. And instead of have to, you can say, oh, I want to chant my rounds. Or even better than that, I get to chant my rounds. I mean, it is it is like that. We get to chant our rounds. Um, and that brings us to the most powerful sound vibration, which is mantra. Man means mind, and tra means to free the mind. So... You know, we we know that meditation is a very powerful way of focusing the mind and um, incurring peace and feeling um, calm and tranquility. But it's really hard to do. Um, Arjuna says in the Bhagavad Gita, it's easier to control the wind than it is to control the mind. So when we do mantra meditation... It becomes a little bit easier to meditate cuz we have something to focus on. We have a mantra to focus on. And there's so many different mantras. Like earlier we chanted Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, which is, you know, I bow down to Lord um, Vasudev, Krishna in his form of the Bhagavatam. Krishna says of vibrations I'm the transcendental Om. So he's also saying that he is present in the mantra. And goes on to say in 1025, of sacrifices, I am the chanting of the holy names, Japa. And in the purport of Bhagavad Gita 1025, Prabhupada says, of all the transcendental vibrations, Om represents Krishna. Of all sacrifices, the chanting of Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare is the purest representation of Krishna. In the sacrifice of Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna chanting, there's no question of violence. Actually, it's the simplest and the purest. It's, it's the um, epitome of nonviolence. And there's so many benefits for chanting this powerful Hare Krishna mantra you know if mantra is the most powerful word and words are more powerful than music and music is more powerful than sound you know so then we're we're kind of going along this hierarchy with mantra then the maha mantra the hare krishna maha mantra is the most powerful and has the most benefits and we can learn about these benefits from <clears throat> the shikshasakam which is the verses that were um, chanted by lord chaitanya he says it cleanses the heart of all the dust accumulated for years. So we've been here in this material world, birth after birth, for thousands and thousands of lifetime. And during that time, we've just been covering up our true nature, which is the eternal um, servant of Krishna, you know, covering up our eternal bliss and our eternal knowledge. And even our eternalness, right? Because we give up our eternal. Um, existence, for these temporary existences until we can cleanse our heart and really realize that we are um, devotees of Krishna. This doesn't mean that it happens instantaneously. When we sit down and we start chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, it helps to bring out what's already there. Because we do so many things to just cover it up and just, and not get in touch with who we are, our true nature of being servants of Krishna, of being of eternal spirit soul. Lord Chaitanya goes on to say that it extinguishes the fire of conditional life, of repeated birth and death. So, so it cleanses the heart and then it also kind of gets us out of this cycle of birth and death by um, extinguishing that fire for material desire, which we talked about last week about material desires. It's the prime benediction for humanity at large and spreads the rays of the benediction moon. It's the life of all transcendental knowledge. And we've discussed knowledge before as well, where, you know, absolute knowledge is Krishna, is learning our relationship with Krishna, who he is, what are his pastimes, what are his qualities, you know, that is absolute knowledge, that's true knowledge, and so we really get to understand that. It increases the ocean of transcendental bliss. Last week we also talked about spiritual um, desires and spiritual pleasure, and that it's um, material pleasures that we can have are just like a drop in the bucket compared to spiritual pleasures. So we understand this by chanting the Maha Mantra because it increases that bliss that we feel. And it enables us to fully taste the nectar that we've been craving, that we've been anxious for. right? That, um, that thing that we've just like searching high and low and we think money will help that, crave that nectar, and we think fame might do it, or a big house, or, you know, our next big goal, or ambition, but none of that does, because it's the, it's the holy name that truly, um, satiates that thirst that we have, that, you know, hunger that we may have, and it renders benediction to all living beings, the beauty of the Hare Krishna mantra is that it is non-different than Krishna. When we chant Hare Krishna, it's like Krishna is, it's not like Krishna is appearing on our tongue, like he's dancing on our tongue every time we say Krishna. He also comes immediately and he's like, yes, did you call? Did you want to hang out? And hanging out with Krishna is chanting our japa. Lord Chaitanya says, there's not even hard or fast rules for chanting these names. So in that sense, we're able to easily approach Krishna by his holy names. And our mood of chanting is in gratitude. In this um, verse, we read that Narada Muni, he bows his head in gratitude. See." Yet yeah, feeling a sense of gratitude, I offered obeisances unto him. That's what Narada the Muni says in today's verse. So gratitude is a very important concept. And that's also covered in the third verse of the Shikshastikim, where he says, We chant the holy name in a, of the Lord in a humble state of mind, thinking oneself lower than the straw in the street, more tolerant than a tree, Devoid of all sense of false prestige, ready to all offer all respect to others. So, gratitude is the basis of humility. It's an, in prayer when we pray. It's an expression of gratitude. So when we express gratitude, it can immediately change our mood and attitude. You know, they say having an attitude of gratitude can raise your altitude. And Prabhupada says, so God is great, and I am dependent. So my sense of love has to be developed. We must accept that God is great, and he is supplying our necessities. So why not render some service and gratitude? You know, if we had someone that was giving us um, meals to eat, a place to stay, we would feel gratitude toward them, and we'd want to do something in return. And that's natural for gratitude. The opposite of gratitude is having an attitude of entitlement. This is making demands on time or emotional energy. Where in contrast, when somebody is feeling gratitude, they're coming to an arrangement that feels good for everyone. When somebody feels entitled, they come with an expectation that you'll get something, right? So you're going to give something because you want something back. It's transactional. It's not given just out of love. With the attitude of gratitude, you're giving with an expectation that you'll impact someone, that you'll make someone else's day brighter, that you're doing something just for them. When we expect to get something that hasn't been offered to anyone else, right, we want something first, that's entitlement. We choose, when we choose to make the most out of what is given, that's gratitude, When there's clear boundaries and it feels like mutual giving and receiving without keeping score, that's gratitude. When there's lack of boundaries, you know, it feels like pressure. um, feels like, oh, man, I'm doing more for this person than they're doing for me. And it feels like it's not reciprocated. That's an attitude of entitlement. When we play that we're too cool to acknowledge anyone, we're too cool for school, that's more of an entitlement mentality. But when we consistently show appreciation and help others, um anytime that's an option to do so, that's gratitude. So when someone has entitlement mentality, they feel they deserve certain privileges. Um, they're highly unreasonable about expectations and about what they're entitled to. Having an attitude of entitlement can blind us and it keeps us separated from each other. It forces us indirectly from, um, taking responsibility. So, when we feel more entitled, we don't take responsibility for our actions or for what's happening. And we tend to blame others and point fingers. When we have this attitude of entitlement, it can also lead to envy. It's hard to be humble and have a, an to have humility if you feel entitled to something. On the other hand, gratitude means being thankful, having appreciation. It keeps us open to possibilities. You're pleased by what someone did for you and pleased by the results, and you're not critical of it. Oh, yeah, you brought me a glass of water, but it's hot. You know, you could have brought me cold water instead. Instead, the attitude is, wow, you brought me water. You didn't have to do that. You know, like, thank you so much. Um... You don't feel indebted by what people do for you, so you don't have this anxiety of having to pay it back, but it's just in gratitude you do something for someone. So we can be grateful for everything that Krishna has given us, and when we chant, we can chant in this mood of gratitude. Right? Krishna has provided us with this beautiful community, um, he's right here in our presence. He's made His holy names so easily available to us. Um, he appears anytime we chant His name, and He He gives us whatever time that we need, whenever we need it, and He never lets us go without. Sometimes it feels like you know things are stressful, um, that Krishna may have forgotten us, but He never forgets us. And if we just remember that what we have is exactly what we need and we um, appreciate it and we start we become grateful for it, then um, we feel like we have everything And I said uh, an attitude of gratitude brings abundance so it's an abundant mentality of thinking because it's like I have everything I need I don't need anything more so there's no consideration of envy. When we um, have this attitude of gratitude, we're naturally humble. We're naturally going to be tolerant because we're just appreciative of whatever Krishna gives us. So whatever we have to tolerate, we tolerate. So more tolerant than a tree. Um, More humble, you know, thinking oneself lower than the straw in the street. Because I don't have to have all these things. Krishna doesn't have to take care of me in such a way, and yet He does. So that, you know, keeps again that, that idea of humility in the forefront because we've, we're so grateful for everything. No sense of false prestige because everything I have is from Krishna. So it's not anything that I do. It's that he's given me these skills and talents and he can take them away. So the best thing to do is use these skills and talents for Krishna. You know, he's given them to me. So in gratitude, the service attitude, I can, use them in, in his service. And when we have this attitude, we see everyone as related to Krishna. We're all devotees of Krishna, whether we know it or not, wherever we are on this path, we are all spirit souls, and we're all devotees of Krishna. Some of us have, might have a little bit more dirt accumulated on our hearts than others, and, you um, You know, some of us need a little more compassion, a little bit more loving than others. Um, And some people have more of that capacity to give than others. So we really have to be honest about where we are and our path. And that's that integrity. Um, Because when we are honest, we're able to progress so much more. If I think that, oh, you know, I'm like... So elevated and enlightened. There's nothing that I need to know now. Well, then that, there it is. I'm not gonna learn anything new and I'm probably gonna become more entitled. Well, I know all this stuff, so, you know, you should serve me. Um, whereas if I feel like, you know, I'm still learning, I can see exactly that these are the things that I'm doing that's, that are good and these are the things that I need to work on, then I know exactly what I need to work on and I can be very honest about that, um, and be able to go forward from there. So, it's it really comes like gratitude is like the the crux of um, you know of our joy and happiness, and our spiritual um, progress. So, I hope today when you chant your rounds or you're doing any kind of service that you think about all the things that you're grateful for, and in that mood, we chant and do our service. So um, that's all I have for today. Uh, Hare Krishna. Tarantara, Srimad Bhagavatam,
0: Ki Jay.